This audio is brought to you by muslimcentral.com. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala Rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Before I begin today, the story of Yusuf alayhi salam just like to take a couple of minutes to remind you of the next 10 days that we're approaching. From tomorrow, it will be the first day of Dhul Hijjah because the crescent hasn't been sighted tonight. Therefore, tomorrow, the first day of Dhul Hijjah, and then for the next uh, 10 nights, will be the best days in the year after Ramadan, according to the Quran. Allah says, Fajri Ashr. The ulama mostly agree that they are the 10 days of the Hijjah in the beginning. And you, we increase in our good deeds during these days. Whatever you do, do a little bit more. Something you weren't doing, add a little bit more. It's not good for a Muslim to stay on autopilot. You've got to go up and down sometimes. And forgive be easy on your Muslim brothers and sisters. Be better to your neighbors. Make a decision to answer people's calls when they call you as much as you can. To be more patient with people at work, at school, with your family. Add a couple of more, maybe a few more than that, a bit more sunnahs during the day. Make wudu hit the floor, a couple of rak'ahs, just out of the blue. Grab the Quran or your iPads or iPhones, whatever you want. Recite an extra hundred ayat. If a hundred's too long for you, recite Qulu Allahu Ahad about 50, maybe 40 times, that'll be a hundred. Off by heart, listen. Simple things like that while you go about your daily life. Also, it's a sunnah to fast. If you want to fast, all of them or some of them. One day on, one day off, a couple of days. Or if you don't want to fast at all, that's fine. But at least try to fast the ninth day, which is next Saturday, inshallah. Who knows what the ninth day is? The day of Arafah. The people in Hajj will be at a place called Arafah, the best day to Allah in the entire year. After the night of Laylatul Qadr is the day of Arafah. And the day of Arafah, Allah forgives over three million people in Hajj and the shaitan throws the dust on his head saying, all the work that I've done has gone lost. What we do here since we're not on Hajj is that we fast that day. And in Sahih Muslim, this hadith is collected there where the Prophet ﷺ said, I anticipate, he said, I anticipate. And when he says I anticipate, it means that's what's going to happen. That fasting this day Allah forgives the sins of one year past and one year forward. They're minor sins, of course, not the major sins. Major sins, this is a time for us to repent from them and say, Oh Allah, forgive me from this major sin and I promise you, I will not return to it. If you do it again, do the same tawbah from major sins. For those of you who want to do an uthiyah, the Hajj people, they do an uthiyah the Uthiyah, the Qurban, the sacrifice of the sheep, 
or a cow, even seven people can do a cow, uh, one sheep per family. Um, seven families can do a whole, a whole cow. And the, or whatever you can afford. Some people can't afford except a chicken. No worries. A goat, good. But it has to be among the best that you can afford. The people in Hajj will do that on the 10th day, which is Eid day. And then for the next four days. We here can share what the people of Hajj are doing in these 10 days. And it is the following. So that you can prepare for tomorrow. I'll tell you this now. For every household, it is a highly recommended sunnah, it's not fard, to intend to sacrifice a sheep. And uthiyah, eat from it and give it to the poor. If you can't eat from it, doesn't matter, send it to the poor anywhere around the world or here, anyway. If you're going to do that, the head of the family, whoever's responsible for the family, it could be, in this day and age, the, the, the mother, the woman, I don't know. But normally the father is responsible. And he needs to uh, not cut his fingernails or cut any of his hair for the next 10 days until the Uthiyah is done. And anyone who intends to do Uthiyah, let's say you say, well, I want to do one myself. Then you also then don't cut your hair and don't cut your nails for the next 10 days to share with the people of Hajj this thing of staying away from luxury and all that stuff. So tonight, have a shower if you can. I'm sure you all can. Cut your nails tonight. Yeah, you can cut your nails tonight. Tomorrow it starts. Are you asking if the night before? Oh, maybe you're right actually. Maybe you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You are right. Yeah, yeah. The night starts tonight. Correct. So it's too late to cut your nails in here. It's not haram to cut your nails in here. It's not haram. You can. Even if you have the intention to do the uthiyah, it's not haram. That's the majority opinion of the scholars and the correct one. Without going to too much detail. And there's no text that forbids. It says don't do it, but it's not a type that is forbidden. It's a type that is makruh. Disliked to cut your hair or your nails if you intend to do the uthiyah. And that's for the person intending, the head of the family on behalf of his family, not the wife and the children and everybody else. Unless the wife wants to do uthiyah on her own, then she does the same. Or a son wants to do it, or a daughter on their own. Any questions about that? Okay. So let's now, inshallah, begin with the story of Yusuf salam. We are going through the series of the Prophets. That's why now, for those of you who have been attending, this is lesson 18. About now we have reached the story of the life of Yusuf salam. Continuing from where we left off last week, we already spoke through, uh, a quarter of the way of the story of Yusuf salam last week. And today we'll continue from there. So we left off with the brothers of Yusuf throwing him in the well and bringing his shirt with fake blood on it and trying to trick their father Yaqub that a wolf ate their brother Yusuf. And Yaqub being wise, he said, what a merciful wolf this is. He eats my son and doesn't bother to rip his shirt off. This is amazing. 
And that's when he said to his children, بَلْ سَوَّلَتْ لَكُمْ أَنفُسُكُمْ أَمْرًا No, no, no. Your own nafs, your own desires, your own evil whims made you do this. فَصَبْرٌ جَمِيلٌ I will exercise a beautiful patience. وَاللَّهُ الْمُسْتَعَانُ عَلَى مَا تَصِفُونَ Allah will help me against the plots that you have plotted. And to highlight this very quickly, Yaqub from his mercy and compassion avoids blaming his children directly. Did you realize what he said? Your nafs has led you astray. Your nafs has commanded you and you obeyed your nafs. So he's blaming it on the cause of what they did, of their, of their sin. And that's the way we should think about our actions. What is causing our sin? What is there inside of you that's wrong, that you need to fix? Is it jealousy? Is it hatred? Is it pride? Is it competition for this world and materialism? Is it revenge? Is it some kind of uh, opportunity that you're trying to get out of people? Is it manipulation? What is it? That's the problem for, your, for our sins. Look at the cause of the sins. The nafs always commands us to do wrong. The nafs. What is the nafs? We are made up of nafs and ruh, which is the soul, and qalb. Qalb means your heart. The nafs is the desires. And these desires will always command you to do wrong because they are very selfish. So that's why he blamed the nafs. And then he said, Sabrun Jamil, I will exercise beautiful patience. Who remembers here what we defined beautiful patience as last week? Who can remember? What is Sabrun Jamil? Sabr Jamil. Sabr means patience, but there's different types of patience. This is beautiful patience. It is the highest form. But what is it? Reliance on Allah. Yeah. It does involve reliance on Allah. Hiding. Hiding. Hide it. Yeah, like don't complain to people. Correct? That the highest form of patience in times of tragedy is that you only you are so strong that you you only complain to Allah and no one knows it about you. Now we do seek counselling and that's all right, but for the strongest of the strong, they're able to just rely on Allah and you'll never tell that they're going through a problem. That's the one I'm going to choose. And that's what Yaqub went through. Obviously, he's a role model. My brothers and sisters, let's now continue from here. Back to the well. Allah says in the Quran, وَجَاءَتْ سَيَّارَةٌ فَأَرْسَلُوا وَارِدَهُمْ فَأَدْلَى دَلْوَهَ Suddenly, a caravan came past. And they sent their servant, who used to fetch water for them from the well. And suddenly, he sees a child at the bottom. قَالَ يَا بُشْرَى Oh, what great news this is. هَذَا غُلَامٌ Here is a child. Look what I found for you. In those days, if you find a child, this is a fortune. Because you get to sell him or her in the market. Especially a boy sells for more because he could do more labor. The world of slavery. 
This is our fortune. A boy, young, that means he's got lots of years ahead. He'll cost a fortune to sell. That's why they were happy. It says that his brothers went back to where the well was and they hid. When the caravan came past, before they took him, they went up to them and said to them, he is our slave. His brothers, instead of saying that he is his brother, they said, he is our slave. Why? Because they want to sell him. You can't sell a brother, only a slave. They said, how much do you want for him? Allah replies in the Quran, وَشَرَوْهُ بِبَخْسٍ وَشَرَوْهُ بِبَخْسٍ دَرَاهِمَ مَعْدُودَةٍ They sold him for a few dirhams, a little bit of pennies. وَكَانُوا فِيهِ مِنَ الزَّاهِدِينَ Allahu Akbar, their hatred for their brother was so much that even while they were selling him, they were selling him devalued, like cheap. And zahideen meaning, you know, when you look at a product and you will not sell it less than a certain price, it means you value this product. Isn't that correct? They sold him for a very cheap price, which means they didn't even value him. That if they, were, if they had valued their brother in any way, they'll even ask for 10 times that amount. But because they didn't even value their brother that much, they didn't even see that he will be worth that much. See, when, when you're like that, you think everybody else thinks like you. But really they were the only ones. Whereas the people who bought, bought him off the brothers, they thought he's going to make us ten times that amount. وَكَانُوا فِيهِ مِنَ الزَّاهِدِينَ They saw him as insignificant when they sold him. Subhanallah. And then Allah says, وَأَصَرُّوهُ بِضَاعَةِ They hid him and they made him as if he was merchandise in the back. And they headed off, these people who found him in the well and bought him off his brothers, they headed off to Egypt. Because we said that Yaqub lived in East Palestine and close to, so it's closer to Egypt. And they went to Egypt, which is the closest country. And obviously in Egypt there was a pharaoh. Pharaoh is like a king of Egypt, that's what they call him. And it was, it had a strong government, it was wealthy, it was advanced, it was everything. So obviously they go there because people are going to pay more. When they reached Egypt, they put Yusuf to, to the market. And there came along a man and his wife. This man was not any man. He was the treasurer of all of Egypt, the minister of economy, the minister of finance for the, under the pharaoh, under the pharaoh's government the biggest minister of finance for all of Egypt. When you are the minister of finance, you control everything. You control it more than the pharaoh. And his wife. Now the thing about this man is that he was a nice man, a generous man, a kind man. But he was also impotent. Impotent means that he could not have children. His wife could, but he couldn't. And subhanAllah, some say she was his wife, married. Others say she was just his mistress. And I think, wallahu alam, I lean more towards that he was, she wasn't really his wife, wife, but she was called his mistress, which means Mra'atul Aziz, because Allah calls her Mra'atul Aziz. And people used to say Mra'atul Aziz. Um, 
in the tafsir, some tafsir say that she was just known as his woman, but he couldn't actually do anything with her because he was impotent. And some say she was his wife, doesn't really matter, partner, de facto, wife, all the same thing in those days. So they offered to buy him. And his wife, we'll call her his wife, said to him, buy him. He can serve us for long years, we can make him a slave for us, or we can adopt him as our own child. Allah says, And they didn't even know what they were buying. They had no idea who this young boy is. He is a messenger and a prophet from Allah. Can you imagine that? A messenger, a prophet, you're going to be raising for the next years in your life. And you're thinking you're going to make him a slave or your own son. And they have no idea he is a prophet, a messenger from Allah from above seven heavens. Amazing. While they didn't know what they were doing. And so... Allah says now here in this Quran here, it's a little prelude here, a little prelude, little little break, if you like. Allah says, and so we safeguarded Yusuf. How did he safeguard him? He's a slave. They took him as a slave. Ah, sometimes, sometimes the thing that you see as bad may be good for you. We may see, if we don't know the story, we may see that his family is where his security is. But in this case, his family was where his danger was. And being a slave under strangers in a strange land far away from his family now became his security. This is not something to be proud of. This is something to feel very sorrowful about. That he went through this emotional and psychological agony, pain. To give us an example, Allah says, if you are going through certain pain, even with your family, I've got an example for you with Yusuf. And remember, this story is being told to Muhammad in the year of grief. Remember the year of grief? Where his wife died, his uncle died, he had no protection, and his own family, Muhammad's family, is kicking him out of the land. And he had just gone to a ta'ib and threw rocks at him, all of his tribe, all of his people, all of his family are kicking him out. He's got no support. And Allah is bringing the exact similar hardship of Yusuf salam to give him comfort. He's not telling him, Sakarin, Sakar up. He's not telling him, toughen up. Allah is telling him, number one, you are not alone. And number two, don't give up. This is just a temporary hardship. And from it, there's going to be so much good coming out. I think the ulama said that it was in this time that Allah sent down, With every one hardship, there are many, many eases. We just don't see them yet. And Allah repeats it again, to make it confirmed. The problem is with us. We're not patient enough. Keep going and see what comes out the other side. Exercise positivity as much as you can. And, you, and everything starts with a thought. My brothers and sisters, Allah says we protected him like that as a slave. Nobody asked about him, so no problem. Nobody cared for him, that was better for him. And he was raised under the most powerful man and woman in Egypt. Food, clothing, shelter, protection, everything. In that time, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and so we raised him, Allah raised him, 
and we taught him the meanings of interpreting uh, uh, the the uh, knowledge of interpreting dreams and we taught him other wisdom that accompanies the dreams the wisdom with the interpretation so he'd interpret the dream and he can tell you what to do about it absolute wisdom who knows what the meaning of wisdom is in arabic al-hikmah is to know how to place something in its right place wisdom is for you to know how to use your knowledge in the right place putting thing in the right place that is wisdom it's not easy to know where something goes and what to do brothers and sisters yusuf alayhi salam grew up until he was about in his early 20s and the mufassirun say there's difference of of, of uh, opinions about this some say he reached the age of about 28 some say he was in somewhere in between 18 and 28 by the time he sees his family again he was close to 40 but at this point he was in his prime age in his low 20s and he had blossomed and he was magnificently beautiful and handsome beyond description In Sahih Muslim and Sahih Bukhari, Rasulullah said that when he went into the heavens in Isra'ul Ma'raj, he said, I saw in the heavens Yusuf alayhi salam. Fa'idha huwa, he says, behold before me. Kal Badri, he was like the full moon compared to all the stars. If you put Everyone, trillions of people from the beginning of time, except for Adam salam, except for Adam salam, he was the most handsomest because Allah created him with his own hands. There's no, we cannot describe Allah how he made him, but Allah made him from scratch, from the beginning, he was the most beautiful. After him comes Yusuf salam. You put all these trillions of people in one place and then make Yusuf salam walk among them, he will catch your eye as clear and attentive as the full moon when you see it among the stars. It makes the stars fade away. And he said, وسلم, Yusuf was given half of the beauty of earth, half the beauty of all people. What is that half of beauty? How can you describe half of beauty? One half is shared by everyone, and the other half Yusuf by himself. You can't describe it. Allahu Akbar. What did he look like exactly? You can't describe it. Even Rasulullah when he's trying to describe him, he can't. He says, he's like the full moon compared to the stars when you look at it, and he's been given half of all beauty. That's, that's, that's the best description. Now, imagine with me. He is a wise man, the most intelligent and knowledgeable, along with his father Yaqub, in the entire earth in his time. The most handsomest and beautiful. You melt. Number four, he is a slave. No one cares about him. No matter what he does, nobody's going to blame him for anything. Doesn't matter what he does, doesn't matter what a slave does. It doesn't matter. He steals, it's his master's fault. He kills, it's his master's fault. 
sleeps with a woman, master's fault. No one cares about the slave. On top of that, he is with a woman who has two things. Extreme power and status and extreme beauty as well. Number six, even if somebody wanted to harm him or blame him, he's protected. You know, if you wanted to murder someone, it's called the, this is the perfect crime. <laughs> because he's got it all. He can do anything he wants and nothing will happen to him. And he'll get away with it no one will blame him. One day, the woman, the Aziz, the treasurer's wife, started to become attracted to him. Day by day, month by month, year by year. She's a woman of status and power. Seducing a slave, who is the one that's going to ruin their own reputation? It'll be the woman, not Yusuf Obviously, if they knew he was a prophet and a messenger, different story. But nobody knew that he was. Allah now wants to demonstrate to us the strength and power of fighting our desires by giving us the example of Yusuf Young, strong. Allah says, When he reached the pinnacle of his age, the prime of his age. You know what that means? It means he was physically the fittest and strongest and healthiest time of his life. Knowledgeable and intelligent. Beautiful and handsome. Allah says, we gave him from us knowledge and wisdom. And so we reward those who do good unto others. When you do good unto others, Allah gives you wisdom. For example, you're walking with your children and you see a homeless person. Your child says, let's feed that homeless person. You go and buy sushi and you give it to that homeless person. You get your daughter or your son to give it to the homeless person. You don't know how much wisdom and knowledge your child has just learned from that. They just don't know it yet. As they get older, they'll realize. They'll tune in back to that childhood. You've planted a seed. That's what Allah says. Just like we rewarded Yusuf with knowledge and wisdom, He said, We also reward in the same way those who do good. Muhsin means someone who does more, does more than what they are asked to do, more than what you're obliged, more than your obligation. These are what separate other people apart. Other people they say, Why should I do more than what I have to do? I'm not obliged to do one single cent more, one single action more. That's not what a mu'min is taught to do. Allah loves the muhsinin. Tell you a little story quickly while we're going here. I think it was uh, Abdullah ibn Umar, or was it ibn Abbas, or probably Muawiyah. One of them, what happened was, in the time of, after Prophet's death, this person lived, he had a servant, a woman, a lady servant, slave. And she brought some water for him. As she was spilling the water for him, I think it was making wudu, the actual jar or the kettle fell onto his head. And cut him. Now, obviously, as a human, you're in pain, you don't think. She could see that he reacted angrily and he was about to say something, but before he said it, this woman was intelligent, 
and she had memorized the Qur'an. So she used the most powerful weapon she has, the Qur'an. Immediately the first verse that came to her mind was, And those who restrained their anger. He said, Okay, I've restrained my anger. Because he's a mu'min. Allah said, okay, I'm going to restrain my anger because Allah likes it. So she knows the whole Qur'an. She continues. She goes, ah, next verse. And those who pardon people. He said, I've pardoned you. I will never mention it ever. She knows more. And Allah loves those who do extra good unto others. He said, you are, you are a free woman. Go for the sake of Allah. This is the example of a mu'min. I don't know who's more amazing, him or her. My brothers and sisters in Islam, we move on. Yusuf alayhi salam, one day, he's in the house and this Aziz's wife comes along. She's dressed differently in a seductive manner. Anyone have any nieces or, or nephews today? I'm not going to look at you. Okay, when I'm with children, this is now a story of a seduction. This is MA rated. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, halal MA. The wife of the Aziz enters dressed differently in a seductive manner. Allah says in the Quran, And the woman whom he was in her house. Allah is telling us he's in her house. She's the one who is authority. She's the one who controls everything. She's the one who is in power. So it's completely her fault. She seduced him. Rawadatu means she seduced him. She invited him to do haram with her. An nafsihi. Again, you see the nafs. This woman knows where the vulnerability of the man is. And instead of fearing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, she decides to think about her own desires and attack that vulnerability in that man. Using the most powerful weapon she has, which is her body and her voice. And she said to him, and she locked all the doors of the house so he doesn't escape. So she knows that he's a righteous man. She knows that this guy is so different to any other man she's ever met that believe it or not, he will run away from an opportunity like this. He will literally get up and run. So she locks the doors before she even does anything. What does that show you? He is known for his righteous reputation and his strength that he doesn't fall prey to his own desires. And she said to him, I'm all yours. Do whatever you wish. That's what it means. Come and get it. That's basically what Haytalak means. You can recite it in different ways. Haytalak, Hitalak, Hitulak. Hitu means Tahayyatu, which means I'm ready for you, I have prepared myself for you. There are so many ways you can recite it. So, in other words, 
she seduced him in every different form that any other man would have been finished in the first five seconds. He would be falling prey, he's uh, uh, seduced, he's on, that's it, he's, 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 he's going to do the haram thing. Yusuf alayhi salam, what happened? He immediately replies. Allah says, وَرَاوَدَتْهُ الَّتِي هُوَ فِي بَيْتِهَا عَنْ نَفْسِهِ وَغَلَّقَتِ الْأَبْوَابَ وَقَالَتْ هَيْتَ لَكَ وَقَالَتْ هَيْتَ لَكَ قَالَ مَعَاذَ اللَّهِ Immediately after she said, I'm yours, he did not hesitate. He said, I seek protection from Allah. I seek protection with Allah. He's saying, Oh Allah, save me, protect me. And then he starts to remind her, to try to persuade her to move away. Innahu Rabbi, my Lord. Rabbi means here your husband. His husband is his Lord, meaning he's his master. My master, your husband. He's looked after me. Like woman. If you don't have shame, you don't have self-respect, at least show some loyalty and respect to the man who looked after me, just for him. You want to ruin your own reputation, at least think about that man who was good to you and good to me. Don't ruin his reputation. He's trying to persuade her and trying to plead to her, but she cannot hear anything. Allahu Akbar, she was so attracted to him that she couldn't stop herself. When he realized that she was not going to stop, Allah gives a little indication about something here to show us his human form. He says, She was all over him, wanting everything from him in haram. As for him, he almost fell prey to her too if it wasn't that he had seen the sign of his Lord. What is the sign of his Lord? Till this point, I don't know what it is. Mufassirun have not come to a unanimous agreement. The point is, there was something about Yusuf what he had learned from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and something that he had seen in his master which made his conscience and his shame be too strong that overpowered him that his temptations, his hormones, his lust did not rise too much. Which tells us, my brothers and sisters, the greatest medicine against our sexual desires is shame. Shame. And guilt is a good thing. Guilt is not good for everything. But in this case it is. Also fear of Allah. Whenever Allah talks about zina, adultery and fornication, you'll find in the Quran that he talks in a harsh manner, in a fearful, like he tells you, be careful. This is what's going to happen. It's a dirty place. Jahannam. This. Why? Because Sexual frustration comes from fire. It's heat. And the only thing to extinguish heat is water, of course. And when you remember the punishment of Allah in such detail, it extinguishes the heat. Except in the halal, of course. But in the haram, it extinguishes the heat. My brothers and sisters in Islam, his, his shame killed it. And that's why Rasulullah said, if you have no shame, do whatever you want, man. 
Be whatever you want to be. This day and age, we have that. You have no shame? Do whatever you want. No prophet can change you or help you. But shame is part of Iman. Modesty is part of Iman. Hijab is part of modesty. Lowering our gaze is part of modesty. Uh, looking after our character and our, and our demeanor in front of opposite genders is part of modesty. Even men who like men these days, fight your desire. Fight your desire like every other bad desire. Or women, fight it for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You have something that's bothering you, a problem, fight it. Don't fall prey to it. Allah tells us, fight your nafs. And train your nafs. And punish your nafs and reward your nafs. It's like a child. Anything in life that challenges you. This is called jihad. To fight your bad and evil intentions and desires and continue to do that. Those negative urges. So then Yusuf alayhi salam, Allah says, he stood up and he started running away from her towards the door. And she raced after him. I want you to imagine, this is a marathon, man. They're literally running as fast as they can. He's running as fast as he can for the door, like someone's after him to kill him. And she races right after him and manages to catch, grab the back of his shirt. And she pulls it aggressively. So hard, Allah says, وَقَدَّتْ قَمِيصَهُمْ in دُبُرْ she ripped his shirt from the back. What does that tell you? The desire was monstrous. And his running away was extreme fear. He's not afraid of her. He's not afraid of the desire. He's afraid of angering Allah. He's afraid of the fire. That's what he's afraid of. That's a real man. That's a real mu'min. My brothers and sisters in Islam, when she pulled him by his shirt, it kind of moved back a little bit, and then suddenly the front door opens. And who do they see? Her husband. The Aziz, the treasurer. What's going to happen now? He's shocked. Yusuf is shocked. But the only person who is not shocked is the guilty one. That's a sign of guilt. She is the first one that spoke. Listen to what she says. Allah says, and then they bumped into, they collided with her, her master, her husband, her man, at the door. Immediately she said, what is the punishment of somebody who wants to do something evil to your own wife? Was the master thinking about that? No. Did he ask her? No. Why did she say that? She's guilty. But why is she saying who? She just accused him. She accused him and blamed him as if he was the one seducing her. 
And then she added something really smart. You know, they're, they're, they're smart people. That's why I don't like, you know, teaching our children to say, don't tell them you're smart. Don't say that. Don't even say about yourself, I'm smart. Being smart is not necessarily a good thing or a bad thing. Smart just means that you're smart at doing something. You know how to do it better than others. So you're smart at stealing. Is that a good thing? You're smart at manipulating. You're smart as of, of, you know, anything. Fraudulating, all of that stuff. But you can also be smart in bringing people together. Building. Intelligent. Wise. Knowledgeable. Good. You got great skills. MashaAllah. Good. My brothers and sisters in Islam, but she was smart in a bad way. She says, what is the punishment of someone who wants harm to your own family, meaning seduceing them? Except that he be imprisoned or you give him a painful torture. Now, you might not know what's so smart about that. Well, the law of the land that time was that anyone who seduces the wife or a, fam a woman family member of somebody who is elite has to be put to death. She knew that, but she didn't want her husband to think about death. And if he thought about death and doesn't know how to get out of it, she just gave him an idea of how to run away from it. So she doesn't want Yusuf to die. She wants to keep him for another part two <laughs> series. So she says to him, except that he gets imprisoned or tortured. So at least you know, if he doesn't stay with me, at least to be in prison, maybe sometime I can still work on him. Torture him, he'll come back, we'll treat him. Maybe it's a nice thing, I'll treat him, he'll get better. But don't kill him. You see? So she put in her husband's head, imprisonment or torture. And then he, Yusuf replied, She is the one that seduced me. Allah says, he cuts the story short now, and it looks like they went to a court and they brought a few people. Because then Allah says, وَشَهِدَ شَاهِدٌ مِّنْ أَهْلِهَا A family member from hers witnessed against her. So, it doesn't tell us what happened in the middle because it's not necessary. Allah says, we give you the best of stories, meaning we only tell you what's necessary. We don't go off on tangents and blibber blabber and say a whole lot of things. Our stories are the best. We tell you what you need to know and get to the chase, you know, to the point. So, it looks like a little semi-court happened with family members only because they don't want to ruined the reputation of this elite woman and a family member from her said I know they say that there was a, a shirt ripped so apparently a shirt was ripped and he says let's look at his shirt if it's ripped from the back it means she is the one that seduced him and if it's ripped from the front or said it the opposite way if it's ripped from the front he is the one who seduced her and if it's ripped from the back it means she seduced him and when they found that his shirt was ripped from the back what happened they didn't punish her, they didn't do anything. Her husband took the role and he said, Innahu min kaydikun. This is your plot and your plan. Inna kaydakunna azim. Alhamdulillah. Inna kaydakunna azim. You and women like you, like you, the way you are, not all women, women who are like you in that way, if you plot and plan, <laughs> It's the most dangerous plot and plan. Like, we can't even think like that. When a woman like you wants to plot, very dangerous. 
So he turns to Yusuf and says, Yusuf, just look, Yusuf, just ignore what happened, forget about it, don't talk about it anymore, just bury it, move on. And you, my wife, just ask God to forgive you. They believed in God, but they made partners with God, you know, the pharaohs and the Egyptians. But they believed in God and they used to seek forgiveness from God, whoever that God was. He says, seek forgiveness from your sin. So here it tells you a bit about the husband. It tells you that the husband is weak. He's got low self-esteem. He's not strong. It looks like the wife wears the pants and she's the one that you know, controls everything. It looks like the husband uh, doesn't have much ghira, much jealousy for his wife, right? Because of his impotency, which obviously explains a lot about him. And uh, he just wanted to move on. He knows that his wife was guilty, but he didn't want to talk about it. So now he went back, Yusuf salam, to the danger of the home of the woman. They say her name was, Allah alam what her name was, but in the, the, the Israelite traditions, they say that her name was um, Zuleha. In Arabic, Zuleha. No, not in Arabic, that's in Hebrew. Zuleha. Now, obviously when someone powerful like that does something like that, word's going to get out. Word's going to get out. And some other elite women started hearing this information because obviously family is elite, so the elite people will hear about it. Allah says, وَقَالَ نِسْوَةٌ فِي الْمَدِينَةِ A bunch of women in the city heard about the news and they started to backbite and gossip about the treasurer's wife in a bad way. Innuendo gossip. And they said, this woman, who is the elite in Egypt, seduces her own slave. She's gone crazy. She's gone nuts. She's lost her mind. Who seduces their own slave? This is terrible. She is up there and she seduces a slave down there? What's that? When she heard about their gossip, she plotted again. So she invites them to a little brunch sometime in the day before lunch, after breakfast. And she puts all types of uh, vegetables and fruit. She deliberately puts stuff that needs to be cut to be eaten. And she puts some knives for them to cut their own fruit and vegetables to eat. Apples, potatoes, whatever it was. So they came over, and you know how they are. I mean, they don't really care that she should be seduced to a slave. They just like the gossip. That's how most people are, brothers and sisters. If you've done a mistake, people start talking about you, and you think about what people are saying, it's going to get worse. So what you've got to do is own your mistake. Own your mistake. Yes. And say, I made a mistake. Because people will talk for about a week or two or three or four or five and they can't be bothered to keep thinking about it. They want more drama. You know, we don't watch a movie twice unless you're bored. You know, you watch a series, that's it, unless it's a really good series. Like Erturul or something, which I haven't watched yet. They say it's really good. But, you know, you watch a series, you want to go to the next one. That's, these women were like that. Let's go and find out. So they go to the invitation, yip-yapping, 
and talking and then suddenly Zulayha, the wife, she calls Yusuf to come out. Allah says, فَلَمَّا رَأَيْنَهُ When the women saw him, أَكْبَرْنَهُ They glorified him. وَقَطَّعْنَ أَيْدِيَهُنْ And they didn't realize that they cut their hands over and over again. قَطَّعْنَ is a plural word. قَطَعْنَ means once. But when you add the shadda, it becomes قَطَّعْنَ You express it, it means plural. They cut their hands more than three times and did not notice the blood and the pain until later. That tells you that they were hypnotized by his beauty. That they lost senses, all senses in their body. Allahu Akbar. وَقُلْنَا حَاشَ لِلَّهِ And they all screamed. Oh, glory be to God. مَا هَذَا بَشَرًا He is not a human being. إِنْ هَذَا إِلَّا مَلَكٌ كَرِيمٌ He is a noble, honorable angel God sent. He's an angel fallen from the sky. Don't use this as a pickup line, guys. Don't you dare. I'll come and hunt you down. Have halal pickup lines with your wife and husband. Brothers and sisters in Islam, he fell, an angel fell from the sky. <laughs> the Aziz's wife looks at the women and she says, This is the man that you blamed me for. Look at you. At least I didn't cut my hands. You guys have gone all way out. If I'm crazy, then you guys are a hundred times more crazy than me. Now, when the women realized that they were, you know, she got them. She did them over. You know, she rolled them. Now, when you roll someone, if you can't beat them, join them. So they started going, you're right, you're right. Yusuf, come here, come here. Yusuf, what's going on? He wouldn't talk. So then she said, I'm the one who seduced him. So you can tell they became friends. As a teacher, I see this with girls and boys. Girls have this way of grouping together and sharing secrets. It doesn't matter if it's a good secret or a bad secret. It doesn't matter if it's going to ruin someone's life or make it better. The fact that you shared secrets with me, we're now friends. We're BFFs. How do you become a BFF? Girls become BFFs when they share their inner, inner dark secrets and they share the same motives. It doesn't matter good or bad. But be careful from those friends, brothers and sisters. Because as soon as you fight with them, they're going to expose everything about you. So a good friend is somebody who is loyal and covers your secret and advises you when you say something wrong. Doesn't let you do the wrong. Advises you. My brothers and sisters, they became friends because they shared now the same motive. She said, I suggest him. And if he doesn't do what I'm telling him, he is going to be imprisoned or he's going to be tortured. So then they, they felt for him. They liked him. You know, good looks and everything. I said, Yusuf, just do what she wants. Come on, we don't want to see you in pain. Something about good looks, you know. Now they don't want harm on him. Their, their hearts flutter for him. They're worried about him. So go and do the haram. That night, Yusuf, alayhi salam, prayed to Allah, night long, crying, and making sajda to Allah, and shivering. Crying out in the night, O oh Allah, 
the dungeon is more beloved to my heart compared to what they're calling me to do. Does anybody love a dungeon? You, even he doesn't love the dungeon. But when you compare it with something worse than the dungeon, the dungeon seems like heaven, like paradise. How can he say the dungeon is more beloved, ahab, it's in the heart, more beloved to my heart than what they're calling me to do? Because he understands the imprisonment and the dungeon of zina, hellfire. The dungeon in hellfire is worse than the dungeon of this world. When you look at the dungeon of hellfire, the dungeon of this world seems like jannah. And so you love it more. In Sahih Muslim, Prophet said, I saw in hellfire a place deep, like this is hellfire. Inside of hellfire there was a valley. And inside that valley there is a deep well. Allahu alam, how far this well goes down. And I could hear people screaming underneath. I looked closely and there were naked men and women hung upside down inside this tanur, inside this well. And there was fire coming out even hotter than the rest of Jahannam. It would come up to them and burn them and they would scream. And their pus and everything fell into the mouths of others. And then Jibreel said, they are the zunat. They are the adulterers and fornicators of this ummah. Of your ummah. Of the Muslims. They're punishing. They're being punished like that. So now when a prophet knows this, suddenly the dungeon is more beloved to him. Not only that, he says, Oh my Lord, if you don't turn them away from me, I'll fall to them, I'll fall prey to them. I'll become among the ignorant. Ignorant doesn't just mean not knowing something. Boys and brothers and sisters, in Arabic when you say jahil, it has several meanings. The jahil here does not mean someone who doesn't know something. A jahil is somebody who knows the wrong and goes for it. A jahil is someone who follows their desire, just follows their desire, lives like an animal, worse than an animal. That's a jahil. That's an ignorant person. Allah says, فَاسْتَجَابَ لَهُ رَبُّهُ His Lord responded to him. فَصَرَفَ عَنْهُ كَيْدَهُنْ He turned them away and their plots from harming him. إِنَّهُ هُوَ السَّمِيعُ الْعَلِيمُ Allah is all-knowing, all-hearing. I think it's Samia al-Basir. Samia al-Innahu huwa Samia al-Alim. He is the most knowledgeable and the one who hears everything. He hears his pain. Allah says, and so the, uh, the husband of the Aziz, the Aziz and the wife, they went around and they plotted to find a way to incriminate Yusuf salam to make him end up in prison. So they went around banging on a drum. Everybody gathered and then they announced, this man has seduced the Aziz's wife. And so they requested dungeon and he ended up in the dungeon. Allah now skips the story and says, And in the dungeon, two young men accompanied him. They went inside the dungeon with him. And so they became his companions. A messenger of Allah, out of all the people of the world, he makes him a messenger for the next at least nine years to just two criminals. Amazing. In Islam, nobody is insignificant. Every person is a potential Muslim. Every person is a potential repentant. There is always good in someone. 
To the last breath, a prophet assumes well of people. We've already gone through that with Prophet Lut and Ibrahim, as you saw, and Nuh and the rest. Allah says now his encounter with the two men of the dungeon, Yusuf did not think of them any less. He looked at them like everyone else and he looked at his mission, the same obligation to them as anyone else. Allah says, one of them immediately said to Yusuf, I saw in my dream this. And the other one says, I saw in my dream that. <laughs> like, it looks like they had been acquainted to him very briefly. And they knew that he was a righteous man with knowledge. It looks like he had already told them stuff and they have realized that he knows things human beings don't know. So one of them said to him, I saw a dream last night that there was bread on top of my head and birds were eating that bread off my head. And the second person said, I saw myself pressing grapes into wine. Please tell us the meanings of these dreams because we see from your face that you're a righteous man. You look like a righteous man. Allah. Even if he is incriminated, falsely accused, brothers and sisters, the innocent person has a sign on his face or her face. And the criminals knew it. When you see you among the good doers. Before Yusuf interprets their dream, guess what he does? He says, No food will come to you unless I will tell you exactly what it is before it gets to you. What is he doing? He's showing the knowledge which Allah gave him. That is, a knowledge, that is a messenger of Allah. And secondly, check this out. He's choosing the right time to teach them something. They're hungry. Let's eat first, and then I'll talk to you. Because when you eat, you're going to listen better. And that's the sign of a good teacher. Chooses the right time. Some people, when they give da'wah, they choose the worst times. And say the worst things. They're emotionally fueled. You can even tell when they write, emotional fueled. People don't listen to emotionally fueled people. They listen to people who are objective. And at the right time. Allah says, Remind when the reminders will work. So he went until they ate. And when they ate and sat down, the first thing he started to teach them was about Allah. Tawheed. The oneness of Allah. Ya sahibay sijni. Oh my friends of the prison. And he started telling them, Many gods are better? Or is it one God better to believe in? They said one God. He says, I left a people like this and my fathers are prophets and messengers and they worship only one God and this is what they taught me and I am now teaching you. And he started to teach them about the oneness of Allah. The best salvation is first of all connecting yourself with Allah and believing in Him in the right way. Everything else will follow. One person said to me when, I don't know if you guys, some of you were old enough. Did anyone heard of Mother Teresa? Mother Teresa. She was a, right, a woman of, of righteousness to the Christians, a good doer. She had so many good deeds, we don't deny that. She did a lot of good for, for every, all walks of life. When she died, I had a, a Muslim brother, not very knowledgeable in the deen. He comes up to me, he was frustrated. He says, will Mother Teresa go to Jannah? I said, that's up to Allah. But if Mother Teresa and the likes of her died disbelieving in Allah, then Allah will not put her in Jannah, no. She chose that. She says, but why? She did all the good to the people and all that stuff. Why wouldn't God do that? I said, oh, if you worked for Ford, would you expect Holden to pay you? I'm going to pay you. You work for a company, other companies to pay you? No. 
You work for the people, Allah will give you the reward that you deserve from the people. They'll build, mon build monuments out of you, they'll talk about you for the rest of the ages. But in the hereafter, you have nothing with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You worked for Jesus Christ, Allah will say, Jesus Christ, you come here. Can you prevent them? He'll say, my Lord, I am innocent from them. But we acknowledge her good work, and she was a great role model, but she worked for a different purpose. So whatever you work for, this is what Allah will give you. You will not receive except what you work for. Allah will look at the type of work you did and your intentions. Why did you do it? Did you donate for the, so people can call you a good person? Or did you donate for the sake of Allah? Did you help this person because you want to benefit from them? Or did you do it because you want the reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Why did you do it? So then he taught them about this. And then he starts to interpret their dreams in the end. Because that follows afterwards. He says to the first one, as for one of you, you are going to be crucified on the cross and your body will be left there and the vultures will eat your head. And as for the second person, you are going to be released and you will become the person who presses wine for the Pharaoh. That's the interpretation. There is no more than that. Nobody will interpret anything else. In other words, Allah taught me, therefore it has to, be, has to be right. Don't question it. Allah's command has come through. Time passed, and this is exactly what happened. The other one went, he was crucified, and the last one, he left. To become the wine presser of the Pharaoh. As he was leaving, Yusuf salam says to him something. He said, Mention my name, mention my case. Mention my case to your Lord, to your master, the Pharaoh. He wants to bear innocence. He wants, he wants his innocence to be known. Allah says, but the shaitan made that prison companion forget. Now, ulama have had different opinions on why he forgot. Did Allah make him, obviously Allah did not make him forget. The shaitan made him forget. Some ulama say, that Yusuf should have asked Allah to save him, not seek you know, intercession. But that's, that doesn't, for me and for a lot of ulama, it doesn't fit right. The other ulama say, no, truly the shaitan made him forget because the shaitan wants harm upon Yusuf and doesn't want the message to come out. And the companion was still weak in his faith, so he listened to the shaitan and forgot to mention. He was thinking more about his, his, his freedom. What it does show us is, as a Muslim or anybody, you are allowed to seek the help of someone who can do something for you. Like you can't, you don't have to sit there and say, don't ask anyone, just ask Allah and that's it. Tawakkul, reliance on Allah is true, but you also have to do your part. So if you have connections, you can write to someone, you can plead to someone, you can uh, lobby for someone that can help you, then do it. And that's why I say, and some people may disagree with this, but I think, inshallah, it's right, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, may Allah forgive me if I'm wrong, and I think it's right for the benefit of the ummah. That's why, you know, when, when you live in Australia, or live in, in certain countries like that, and there are certain laws which govern you, instead of trying to fight those laws, right, try to work within them for the benefit of the Muslim community. Try to use them, try to lobby MPs, try to write to them, try to write to ministers, try to get that. Nothing wrong with that, if you can. Use the system in order to help the Muslim community. The Imam of this masjid, may Allah have mercy on him, Sheikh Fahmi, like a father to me. 
he, when he was here he from, from the beginning, mashallah, because he did that stuff and he believed in that stuff, we now have a Muslim graveyard, a Muslim um, cemetery. We didn't have that before. They used to bury people in plastic bags. Now, alhamdulillah, then they put them in coffins. Then they said, no, we have to bury them in the, in the white cloth. And now they accepted it for us. We didn't have an Islamic marriage uh, celebrancy. Now, alhamdulillah, we have a recognized Islamic celebrancy for marriage. Right? There are many other benefits that they established through the system. Why not? Use our brains. So Yusuf salam used this person and says, mention me to your Lord, to your master. He's a kafir. He's a kafir. He's a disbeliever. Believes in all these weird things, pharaohs. But for the benefit, tell him. And if he's released, he can call people to Islam and teach them the religion of Allah. Why not? But the shaitan made him forget it wasn't time. So Yusuf salam stays in the prison. Allah says, He stays in the prison a number of years. Bid'ah in Arabic, when you say bid'ah, it's any number between three and nine. Ulama assume it was between seven and nine years he stayed for a long time. There is a narration, but it's weak. I looked it up. It says that Jibreel salam, came to uh, Yusuf salam, in the prison and he said to him, yeah, Yusuf, when your brothers wanted to kill you, who saved you? He said, Allah. He says, when they threw you in the well, who saved you? He said, Allah. He said, when the wife of the treasurer wanted to seduce you, who saved you? He said, Allah. He says, then what prevented you from asking Allah now to save you from prison? Now, it makes sense for those, of you, for those who don't think about it properly, but actually the hadith is weak. Right? Hadith is weak. And uh, you'll see later on where Muhammad, وسلم, the Prophet Muhammad, وسلم, he talks about something that Yusuf did and he says, why did he do that? I would have done that. And you'll see that he's using circumstances to help him. So anyway, he stayed for a number of years, seven to nine years in the prison and that's it. Nobody ever hears about Yusuf alayhi salam. Nothing. He is forgotten. One day, the Pharaoh sees a dream. Now I'll tell you that dream. And finish the story around it and then we'll leave the rest of the part till next week inshallah the pharaoh sees a dream in the quran allah doesn't call him fir'aun he calls him malik and the reason allah calls him malik which means king even though he was a pharaoh is because allah designated that name for the worst man on earth in history the one who tried to kill Musa alayhi salam, Moses. Later on, he calls him Fir'aun. Because the word Pharaoh is hated by Allah because it denotes a hierarchy, thinking he's a god and better than everyone else. But a king is a king. Yeah, there are many kings. There are prophet kings as well. And a king could be just and fair. So he went to call that Pharaoh a king. And this king was actually fair and good. So Allah didn't want to call him Pharaoh. Called him king. Malik said... I see, I, he comes to his viziers and his advisors and I don't know who, his elites who know stuff, and he says to them, I saw seven thin cows, skinny cows, eating seven beefy cows. It should be the opposite, but the skinny ones are eating the fat ones. And I saw seven stalks of wheat. The Qur'an doesn't say wheat, it says sumbul, but when you follow the context, you know that it is wheat. You'll find out later. Some tafsirs will show you, some translations will say corn, but it does not fit with the context. He says, I see seven stalks that were green and beautiful, and seven stalks, not green, but seven stalks, he said, 
that were healthy and seven stalks that were unhealthy and withered. There's nothing in them, nothing in the ear, in their ear, no seeds in their ear. Oh people, oh elites, tell me the meaning of my dreams. Tell me the meaning of my dream. And Allah says, they said, They're just whatever, just, you know, dreams that you see every now and then. They mean nothing. Now Allah is using a bigger plan. A bigger plan to bring Yusuf to a higher position. That's when the ex-prisoner, he remembers Yusuf. He says, I can get you the interpretation. Send me, send me. So they sent him. He goes to the prison and says, Yusuf, Yusuf, oh, the truthful, honest one. He straight away tells him, tell me the meaning of this dream. And he tells him the whole dream. Yusuf, without any hesitation, doesn't say, why didn't you mention me to the Pharaoh? Why didn't you do this? No, no, no. He just goes straight to his duty. He said, the people of Egypt and the surrounding lands in Palestine, they will have the next seven years full of rain and vegetation and their crops and wheat will grow abundantly. And then after that, there will come seven years that will be full of drought and they will eat away all the good years. Then there will come one year, so 15th year, where people will squeeze and press their veg vegetables and their, and their wheat and their barley to make oil and so on and so forth from it. Behold, whatever you harvest from your crops, don't use them all. Eat only what you need and store the rest of them and keep, and keep the seeds in their ear, in the stem in their ear, closed. Why? So they can be protected and so they can have a longer shelf life. Not only did he interpret the dream, but he gave him the solution so they don't fall into poverty. Now here is where he says, leave it in its ear so it can last longer. In agricultural science, they'll tell you, you can look it up, that if it was corn, corn doesn't last in its mother stem, in its ear, for longer than about six months to two years maximum. Wheat, however, can last up to ten years. And that's why seven years. And that's why I rest more upon the wheat. So the prisoner goes and he tells the king the, the interpretation, and the king loves the interpretation and the solution. He goes, bring him to me. So then he sends his vizier, and the vizier comes up to Yusuf and says, the king wants to see you. And Yusuf السلام, refuses to get out of the prison. Why? He says, go back to your Lord and ask him about the case of those women. The Pharaoh had heard about it, but he had never dealt with it. And Yusuf refuses to get out until he is innocent and his reputation is restored. This is very wise because he's going to come out a hundred times more powerful than what he thought. If he had come out normally, the king was probably going to give him an award, a little recognition, a position and go, like a little bit of money and go. But now, when the king saw that, hold on, I mean, he's been incriminated and he's been imprisoned and something special about this guy, he calls the women straight away. I'll stop here. And next week, insha'Allah, keep hanging on the cliff. And insha'Allah, we'll finish the story. There's much wisdom to be learnt from the story of Yusuf. Part 3, next week, Thursday, 
same place, same time, insha'Allah ta'ala. Thank you for listening. Wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.